0: And now, coming to you live from the Gresham Room, high above the Coot Street Motel Six, it's Jonathan Strand and Gary K. Wolf with very special guest Kelly Lincoln, the
1: Coot Street Podcast. Welcome, Kelly, and congratulations on the Book of Love.
2: Thank you. Um, I I really felt when you said very special guest. I felt very special. So because you <laughs> are, I'm you are special
0: that. to us. It is <laughs> you are we wonderful. We've we, 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 this we, home.
2: I'm sure all of your guests are special. I'm just, I'm saying I, I really felt it, and I appreciate that.
1: I mean, well, you're, you're, you're most relaxed. special note. Well, no, you were, you, you're almost a regular now. We talked about White Cat, Black Dog about a year ago. Is that long ago now? Yep, exactly. Yep. So you're just hammering the books out now.
2: You know, I I was feeling pretty good about that until I realized that now I will have to write another book. Well, it's so, funny. I mean, we don't want to skip over anything here, but the way
0: I recall the con- the conversation last time was you were implying that you were you had other books well in hand.
2: I do. I I have I have two books that one is well in hand, one I think will not take as long as As the book of love, but having said that, I have made no headway. I think since we last talked, I've had bookstore work, I've had other kinds of work. Um, I have done a great deal of thinking about the books. I think I dipped back in and did a revision on what I had, but I really, I have to get back to it.
0: Yeah. Well, I I guess when you talk about sort of how long it sort of immediately begs this question to me. It's like first story appears in 1995 water off a black dog's back right
2: Mm. so what took so long between 95 and now Mm. do you mean took so long to write a novel
0: yeah i mean was it i mean sort of quite often the obvious thing people would think and it's not obvious Mm -hmm. and it doesn't apply uniformly across careers at all but people might superficially think the obvious thing to do write a few short stories move on to, onto novels or be writing novels in the background all along and turn around to that. And I couldn't say whether or not you haven't tried your hand in the background, but there's a long and happy career with short fiction till now.
2: Yeah. I, years ago when I was graduating from Columbia, I had written three chapters of a novel. My instructor, who is a writer named Raymond Kennedy, uh, unbeknownst to me, uh, passed over those three chapters to his agent and his editor. And, um, I actually went in and talked to both of them. And fortunately for me, um, I had, I had weird plans after college. And so I did not, uh, sign any contracts. I didn't say that I was going to continue with that that novel. Um, Mm -hmm. and then I went to grad school and wrote more short stories. And I can't say that my goal, my career goal has ever been to be a novelist. Um, that that it wasn't until about eight years ago uh, when I started to work on this one that I I thought, well, I guess I actually will write a novel. Um, you know, and I, I mostly did it because of uh, my friend Holly Black uh, telling me that if I did not
1: write one on purpose. I would write one accidentally.
0: I, I would argue,
1: I would, I would argue that you you may have done that because when uh, I think one of the things this is completely off the wall, but one of the things that may have made it seem less necessary to write a novel is that some of your stories have novels folded up and wrapped in them already. Uh, and I, I can think of a number where uh, 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 stone animals uh, you can unfold that into a novel. You could unfold. Uh, magic for beginners. And in other words, there's a lot packed into those stories, which is what makes them so unusual. Mm -hmm. Um, And what's interesting about the book of love to me is that it unfolds things rather than folding things in. Does that make any sense?
2: I will have to think about that. I I will tell you that uh, part of the strategy for, for book of love was to take a project that, that for fun, I had thought about as a trilogy. Mm Mm-hmm and excise the metal book and think about how to make it work as, as one book, um, which which is, you know, I, I can't say that I've ever taken something, thought, well, this is a very big project, but I will make it into a short story. But with, with The Book of Love, I did think, here's a lot of material, a bunch of characters that I'm interested in. I can see how to make this into a, a series of books, Um and then at the point when I actually sat down to to work on a novel length project, to think, well, how would I take those three books and and make it function as as one project?
0: Yeah. So how did you find your way into the town of Lovesend, Massachusetts, and to the four friends that live there? What did where, where did that begin?
2: I the the town kind of evolved. Um, I I knew very early on that I wanted this to be written from multiple points of view that I, I wanted mm. I wanted kind of a choral effect. And I think at a certain point as I began introducing voices, I thought, well part of the texture of this should be the place that these people live. And then sort of built the the town from from the backgrounds of those those characters. And it's a town that is um, Pretty indebted to the the place that I live now, uh, to Northampton and to East Hampton, where we have the bookstore. Uh, you know, there's no college there, but it is a a town that has a, a lot of quirky restaurants, a lot of small businesses. Um, you know, it's in that sort of window. If if I think about the the town that that the town that the book is set in, it's sort of at that moment before uh, the people who live there start getting priced out. <laughs> very stars yeah, I, hollow by the sea
1: it's a, it, 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 yes. the, the setting uh, a, Apart from the fantastic elements In the novel altogether The setting is very vivid And I, I think I saw somebody I never read comments or reviews until I've my, Somebody said something about Thornton Wilder's Our Town uh, Something like these, these novels in which Or stories or poetry collections In which the community becomes a character um, and it's it's a very convincing place. And I've been in Northampton, obviously. Obviously, there's no coast there, uh, which makes. It, but I, I have I, I just had I just thought of this question. Jonathan pronounced that love send, and I was looking at the ty- at the name of the town, which I is completely made up. And it mm-hmm. occurred to me you can either pronounce you can either look at that as love's end or at as love send, mm-hmm. and both of those names are kind of appropriate to what happens in in the novel. You know,
2: I, it's not uh, the most subtle, <laughs> subtle wordplay, anyway.
1: um,
2: but in fact, one of the one of the characters in the book has in fact picked the town in part based on the name because yeah. she is a romance novelist. Um, one of the things that I did two years ago uh, was um, a little bit longer mm-hmm. ago than that was drive down the coast of Massachusetts to see if there was any landscape or sort of town along the coast that, that in any way felt like the physical territory that the book is set in. And that was sort of a yes and no, that in fact, there are some really delightful, quirky, uh, now very touristy towns. Um, but, you know, we I, I wanted to set a book beside the sea because I grew up in Miami um, mm. next to the ocean. Gavin grew up in, in air in Scotland and in other small
1: yeah. towns,
2: And I think both of us are a little surprised that we are now landlocked in, in Western <laughs> yeah. Massachusetts. But it was very pleasurable to write about people who are living, living next to the, the ocean.
0: Oh, we should probably ask just for listeners, do you have a, a dreaded elevator pitch for this book that will describe it? Because, I mean, to me, it seems to me it's three friends who grew up together, another friend they meet at school, Three of them get lost and then come back
2: from after, the dead. After being being missing for a period of time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I, you know, my elevator pitch is much more conceptual, that this is sort of my, my love letter to the romance genre. Um, mm-hmm. But it's also a love letter to the supernatural melodrama, you know, the, mm-hmm. the sort of story in which... Um, a lot of weird people show up in a in a small in a small town, um, and dramatic things happen. But it is it's a novel about a, a couple of kids who come back more or less from the dead after being missing for a year, mm. and um, have to figure out what happened to them and have to figure out how to how to stay alive, basically.
1: Rather than being sent back to wherever it was they came from, they came from
2: rain. They are in, in in borrowed bodies in on borrowed time.
1: But then, it started, to be fair. And, uh, you mentioned the, the romance genre, which which is there, and and one of the wonderful characters is the offstage, mostly grandmother of of Mo, who is a romance novelist. And I kept thinking Mo's story that could have been a Kelly Link story by itself, with all the statues she puts up in the town and this sort of thing. Um, and then later. Uh, there, you mentioned yeah. There's there's a supernatural, uh, there, there's a kind of epic fantasy element to parts of it. I mean, I y- you have to admit that part of the deal is keeping a ring from getting in the wrong hands, which is a pretty.
2: <laughs> and, I mean, I think the issue with with any any kind of ring or or enormous amount of magical power is there are no right hands. Right. Well, yeah, <laughs> right. because being, yeah. So,
0: like the, the narrative tension for this is. What's happened unravels the world, doesn't it? Like it's it's like it's a wrongness in the world. It's a wrongness that they these these three people were taken away, and a wrongness they've come back, and now there's this tension as to other things going wrong.
2: And they are involved in the unfinished business of a lot of uh, characters, a lot of people who have been around for a long time and have complicated friendships and complicated, uh, enmities. Um, you know, all, all of the things that I think of as sort of the standard tropes of, of any sort of (laughs) paranormal supernatural, um, adventure in, in which you have people have been around for a
1: long time. It looked like you were having a lot of fun with this, actually. Um, I did. I had, I, I, I loved being able to move from voice
2: to voice. Mm. Um, although it's, you know, the, the thing with a, with having many points of view is um, the movement in time, you know, sort of keeping things moving forward while making sure that you're um, keeping up with, with the, the various characters. It's a little bit like a chess game in which you are moving a lot of pieces very carefully across a, a board. Um,
0: yeah. Well, it does feel like like uh, like Laura, Daniel, Mo, and Susanna's points of view. The, you know, their books within the book are the yeah. thing that keeps the story moving, and then you have not exclusively, but to some extent, background pieces in with these other uh, characters who have books appointed with books in there that let you see what's happening in the world. Did you yeah. have a lot of concern about how much of the non-main protagonists to fit into this, because it's easy enough to fall into any of their stories.
2: I did. I wanted, I think at a certain point as, as I was working, um, I thought I want this to be a pretty, pretty capacious book. I want, I want a sense of, um, I wanted it to feel propulsive, but I also wanted to spend time with these characters. Um, I wanted to be generous in terms of, um, I guess exploring uh sort of their their state of mind. Uh, on, uh, so it got bigger and bigger.
1: Does that have to do with the uh the question I'm sure you're going to get asked a lot is does does that focus on these particular characters and their relationships have a lot to do with the title of the book? Title of the book does not proclaim fantasy in any way. Well, I the title of the book came very late. Hmm. The title of the book came long after I was
2: I was done with it. Um and in large part, was the title was because uh, Holly Black had published her first adult novel. Um, she had had a working title, which she planned to be the title, which was The Alterationist. And her editor came back and said, people are not going to know what an alterationist is. We need a, a different title. And um, so she went through, as you do sometimes as a writer, Many alternatives, and ended up with the book of night, and and I think that formulation opened up something for me. I thought, well, I've used the book of all the way through to yeah. tell you whose point of view we're in. Um, I like that formulation, and uh, the book of love is is actually works quite well for for what I want to tell a reader about. Um, about, I want, you know, titles can often be kind of a, um, a directive. Here's, here's a way to read something. It gives you a, a, a title can give you a, a piece of really um, helpful information. And so I said to Holly, do you mind if I, I put her title? And she very generously said, not at all. Um, you know, her town kind of book of night is set in a uh, East Hampton in Massachusetts. Okay. Uh, you know, another small uh, Massachusetts town um, is a paranormal contemporary uh, fantasy. And so there's probably a great deal of, of cross material, cross DNA in, in, in my book that, that comes from, you know, working with her as she worked on that.
0: And was it a book that you workshopped heavily or was it one that you just sat in, sat at home and just worked through?
2: I, a combination of both that, uh, as I worked, Gavin, Holly, Mm -hmm. my friend, Cassie, uh, other people read pieces of it. Um, Sarah Reese Brennan, Lee Bardugo, uh, Rain Johnson, lots Mm -hmm. of, lots of writers, Robin Wasserman, uh, but mostly, uh, that was just for encouragement. Sure. And so when the, when the, when, when I had a, very solid first draft. Then we called a workshop and um, all a bunch of people came up, Jedediah Berry, uh, Emily mm-hmm. Howe, a bunch of local writers came, um, Steve Berman and gave me a tremendous amount of very helpful feedback, but also people like Steve Berman and Sarah Pinsker, uh, mm, cool. you know, read, read the book and provided
1: uh, feedback. Did it get longer as this went, process went on, or was it longer to begin with?
2: You know, I think between the the sort of very close to final draft and then the published version, probably cut about 20,000 words, believe it or not.
1: Well, I mean, the thing, I, I read it on my iPad, which is an odd, I've decided that that's an odd way to read books, and, and and I hate it in many ways, but in one way... I found myself getting further and further into the book, and at no point did I have to open a physical book and say, "Oh my God, there are 400 pages." So I was, and you get these percentage things on iPad, but you never really know how far you are into the book. So I was, uh-huh. I was like more than halfway through the book before it occurred to me this is a really long book, but I hadn't <laughs> noticed that. Oh, that's that's very reassuring. You know, it's going to be way too long for
2: for some people. And I think even some people who enjoy it will be irritated by its length. But um, the pieces that would have been easiest to remove were, to me, the point of the book. Were there bits that
0: you were more eager to get back to write? Because when you have multiple viewpoint things, I, th- I find sometimes, like when you're, as a reader, you're going, yeah, you know, I'm reading this and it's fine, but I really want to get back to so and so. When I'm reading Game of Thrones, I'm going like, I really, really want to get there. And was there an element of that for you?
2: You know, I will be interested to see if that's true for readers, not for me, because um, I think there's there's some difficulty sometimes in the way that you're as the writer, your perception of a character changes or evolves. Um, And so you think, oh, I'm going to have to go back and make sure that this there's, there's kind of continuity of character once, once I have more of it. Um, But all of it was hard to write. Uh, The the easy parts to write were the, the sort of um, the shorter books from the point of views of people who were not main characters. Uh, Yeah. And
0: Vincent, that kind of thing.
2: Yeah. Oh, but my sure. my goal always was was to think, you know, is when I shut down when I when I close out one of the short books and move jump to another character, uh my goal was to make it feel propulsive enough that you would not think, Oh, I don't want to leave. I I'm happy for somebody to think, Oh, I, I would have loved more of that, but no, I'm very interested in the thing that is going on here because I agree that can be an enormous challenge, and I—that's one of the reasons I think why it felt intuitive to me to keep the sections very short, so that you were sort of dipping in and out very swiftly as you moved forward.
0: I mean, I was was certainly immediately engaged by the book, but what I find when I'm reading multi-viewpoint books is that there's a point you, you feel like you're getting a lot of beginning before you get to things coming together because. You you know you're saying well here is what's happening with Susanna and her background and now here's what's happening with Laura and here's what's happening with Moore, and here's what's happening there, <clears throat> but actually only like this you know, like a this much of the story has happened in this much of the book and then it suddenly No, I didn't feel that a great deal but it must have been a concern balancing that kind of thing.
2: It was a concern, and I think it did. It that was one of the difficult things about writing it was even for the writer. Um, moving from one character to the next, um, and I am somebody who mostly has a sense of what they're going to do before they start writing it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. at least I, I would think, all right, now we're leaving Mo, and now we're moving to Susanna. Sure. But I know what's going to happen in, in this in this scene in this in this chapter, and here's the thing that I'm going to be building some energy towards. Um, yeah. 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 And but then in all, revision, lots and lots of fine tuning that so that it mm-hmm. feels a little bit less choppy.
1: I mean, one of the things that uh, I, I think it works very well. I I would have enjoyed just reading about these characters and loves and without what becomes an increasingly large scale backstory, although that's terrific. Uh, partly because their voices are the characteristic of a lot of your fiction I mean there some of them are very funny. you could they become distinct voices. they comment on each other so we get multiple views of of similar events. and um, in, in in some cases the, the, some cases it's, as as always it's very funny. I mean i I liked Laura's point of view. Laura is one of the sisters who may be the snarkiest one uh, in terms of her narrative voice. but um, one of the things that is what I Think of as a characteristic Kelly Link gesture is that you'll have a absolutely terrifying and imposing figure. That, who and I don't know how you pronounce your name, but I was thinking Malomoggy or something like that. Malomog. Well, Malom. Okay, with Mal in. Uh, yeah. But the first okay, I, I I wrote this down. I even said it in the review because the first time Laura is introduced to her, she objects to the to the name because the first thing you're doing is you're introducing a fantasy villain's name uh and laura says what kind of a name is that you might as well call yourself bad intention reptile shoes that's terrific (laughs) well
2: that's one of the pleasures for me in writing fantasy is is fantasy you know there's a lot of uh, kind of mythic coded language there there's there's Mm -hmm. language that almost has that sort of Tolkien-esque power, you know these these are words of power. These are um, like when, like all of that, but in a real world context, those those kinds of names exist in the same space as things like Paxil. uh, you know, advertising in which somebody else has thought very carefully about the way that they want a certain word or label to make you you feel, and so I think that in at least for me in a contemporary setting uh characters if they have any kind of awareness or self-awareness uh your relationship with 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 the mythic yeah. is changed by the way that advertising uses the mythic
1: well it, 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 yeah it's funny because one of the things that's absolutely driving me nuts these days are prescription drugs that are made up after extensive research of words that can't possibly mean anything in any language. Um, <laughs> and I, I, here, uh, you must get it there too. And pr- probably you don't get it in Australia as much, but prescription drugs are advertising all the time on television. And I keep thinking these sound like fantasy characters. As a matter of fact, I think John Kessel once wrote a story in which all of the characters actually had the names of prescription drugs. Yeah. Um, and yet there yeah. are characters here that the names are deliberately, it seems to me, suggestive of Tolkien names, and other names aren't. Um, and there are names that you think there may be a kind of mythical etymology behind the word. I'm thinking of I'm thinking of uh, one of the characters whose earlier name was Avalot, which sounds a little bit like Avalon, and it, it's it sounds very Celtic. It's a real
2: name. Avalon is is, is, a, is a real is a real name, um, and. I will say the internet and your ability to sort of find information is, is sort of gone to hell. But uh, at the point when I was first sort of thinking about uh, names and sort of history, uh, one of my favorite things about the internet is, is the, was the ability to uh, see in what century, what names were would have been common in a particular place, um, sort of from, from, from registers. Or uh, from registries, and that so that some names are from places. Uh, a lot of the names in the book, uh, the sort of more supernatural characters, are just names that I had when I knew that this was something I wanted to work on, and I can't tell you where they they came from, but but they yeah. stayed right all the way through writing it in a way that sometimes names don't.
0: Yeah. Writing and publishing a first novel for any writer is climbing a mountain, and you've climbed Everest. Do you, <laughs> When you look back at it, do you feel like you've learned from the process that there are things that you now do differently?
2: I, well, I, I have this strong intention to, uh, you know, make my next adult novel be a novel which functions as much as possible like a short story. hmm for it to to have that sort of density and, and, and concentration and, and brevity. Uh, and there's a there's a there's something about the ghost story. I think a lot of ghost story novels are often extremely compact, uh, kind of like a strong drink or a strong tonic, a very small glass. And so, I don't know if it's because this novel was so large um, or if it is because the natural form of the ghost story novel is often to be mm. quite, quite short. Um, yeah. But that is, that's my intention. Uh, and, you know, a lot of the, I, I don't know about other writers, but for me, you know, uh, you work on something and then you think, and now I want to do something totally different. Sure. Is, is there also a feeling
0: that sorry. sorry. Is there also sorry, I didn't mean to talk, I apologize. <laughs> I was gonna say, is there also a feeling that you know, you've spent eight years on this one? You don't necessarily want to spend eight years on the next one.
2: I mean absolutely <laughs> 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 I, Um and I I think uh part of it is also working in, in fields where um you know people in the 60s and the 70s but also people today will will sit down and write a novel in a very brief window of time (laughs) and i i think that i'm curious what that kind of sustained attack uh is like when you're when you're writing yeah that that if i had my druthers i would go away for a month and see how much of a of a short adult novel i could write it does
0: seem like you hear anecdotal stories of people writing far too much prose in, in in far too short a period of time to be something you're entirely comfortable with.
2: And I mean I think classically historically some of those people were eating a lot of steak, taking you know doing doing some speed, drinking a fair amount and and writing these incredible novels. <laughs> I would
1: like to see if it's possible to do that without without the speed. I just I just Okay, you just made me censor my next remark, which would have been about a writer we both know, uh, but there was, um, I don't know, the, 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 there's a sense in which I, we've talked about this before, uh, see echoes of a lot of different kinds of writers, uh, and one of the terms that that I love and, uh, and our mutual late friend Peter Straub loved was this, simply the term strange stories, which I think is the way Robert Aikman described his fiction. Uh, and... It, there, there's an element of ghost story in it, but as you're reading the story, you realize there are a lot of unstated elements that aren't traditional ghost stories yeah. and, um, and and speaking of, of, of Peter's work, for example, late in his career, he decided to write a couple of much shorter novels um, simply because mm-hmm. he he had done the expansive thing. He knew how to do it. He wanted to do something that he didn't know comfortably how to do and he resulted with the, the, the novels lost boy lost girl and in, in the night room which i like a lot um, yeah and i i think there's something to be said for uh trying out different links uh, as a matter of fact one time uh peter's there was some story he would sent to me early and uh, he said i he said i haven't put in the scary bits yet and i don't i, I sometimes wait to put in the scary bits because i know how to do that right <laughs> He didn't want to write stuff that he already knew how to write, um, yeah,
2: absolutely. And you know when i when I said, um, you know the ghost story often works in this this sort of very mm. short form, what I was also thinking is Peter Straub is somebody who could do it at length. You know he yeah. could write something that was quite a massive book and was still terrifying.
0: it's the maintaining the tone over the period of time that is the is is the challenge in in that kind of a format yes the book of love though i mean does borrow from not borrow it it walks through a lot of different genre settings if you like you know it really does feel i mean even if they're not uh of the fantastic though they do leap into that Mm to have you know your small coffee shop story kind of thing, that's there. And there's a couple of other points where you're going, this could have been that. Were you ever drawn more into one or, or the other, or is it really just a very kind of like, I'm happy with this how it is?
2: You know, if I could have, I think I would have moved it a little bit more in the direction of, of um, horror. Mm-hmm. But I I think because of how I wanted to stay in conversation with with. Pieces of of romances, the genre uh, sure. that that kind of precludes that that precludes the, the horror in in many instances. Um, I don't know. I I what I did want was I wanted I wanted the novel to feel as if, in part, because it is uh, people who are coming back from the yeah. dead, more or less. That I wanted a lot of space to show what life is like. And and not just, you know, the sort of plot-related pieces of life, but, you know, being in coffee shops, you know, the, the kinds of things that you do with your family, I wanted all of those textures there because those, to me, were the reason why they wanted to be alive. I didn't want it to be only uh, related to business of how do we stay alive. Well, yeah, it feels particularly that so-
0: with uh, Daniel, there's a real connection to the quotidian life, uh, sort of details of life that make it richer rather than being what appears to be, at least on the surface, the bigger, grander moment.
2: Yes. And, and Daniel was a very hard, I think the hardest character to figure out that, that I, I have enormous sympathy for, for the, the, the character who refuses, you know, the Mm. the call to action, the character who would rather have no part of it. Um, would in fact just sort of rather lie down uh, and and wait to die, uh, you know, than than mm. on this book. But let's say go fight zombies. I'm I'm very on board with a person who thinks, you know, what this seems like too much work.
0: <laughs> <laughs> very much. Yeah, and but
1: I in terms of in, in terms of the sense of place, and this is one of the things that struck me about about the community about this great sort of tavern place called the 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 cliffhanger which becomes again a location that's very believable and yet infused with supernatural stuff all the time one of the things that i realized after finishing the book that did impress me about it was it's a it's it's a supernatural tale in a coastal Massachusetts town. And not once did I think of Arkham or Innsmouth. It didn't seem oh, remotely like that.
2: You know, I never thought of them either. Uh, and I, I probably should have.
1: But... <laughs> if only to avoid them. <laughs> it, is not,
2: it is not a Lovecraftian novel in,
1: no. at all. Well, let's not get started on Lovecraft. Oh. Let's not. I mean, I was going to say,
0: I mean, I made the passing referen- reference to Stars Hollow and, and in many ways it feels apt. There, there are echoes of sort of that kind of uh, Amy Sherman Palladino kind of story in parts of this that, 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 that also populate romance, that populate uh, comedies, whatever else. And that helps give that just a lot of texture to the story you're, you're uh you're telling i mean because there's this balance obviously to make the story approachable it has to and it has to sort of sort of balance between the dark supernatural sort of world that's there in it and then the the day-to-day world that the characters in it, uh, have encountered hmm. i think
2: well and and for me the the balance is always between the quotidian and the and the fantastic that that I need that that dynamic or that interaction mm-hmm. and, and a kind of balance between the two in order to be interested um, in 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 the narrative.
1: I think there are more things in balance than that because there is the obvious the quotidian and and, and, and the fantastic. There is the uh, the tight the tight realistic community and the larger kind of epic fantasy community and. There also is the dialogue among these various genres. And one, one of the <laughs> things I noticed thinking about the novel earlier and going back uh, over some notes on it was your use of music in it. Music plays a big role in this novel. And yes. it's music that ranges from Barry Manilow to John Cage. I mean, have they ever been in the same novel together before at all? Uh, Avril Lavigne is in it. Uh, Bye Bye Birdie. I mean, all the, the music becomes a function of the character's um Attitudes toward life—it seems.
2: Well, and for me, music is is the closest thing that there is to to magic, you know. In, in sort of the sense of an invocation <laughs> or a kind of casting of a of a mood or a feeling, um, even in very terms now, of being close to language, but also having kind of a ritual yeah, right. effect. Um, yeah, and I. That was one of the great pleasures for me, John Cage, especially, you know, yeah. getting to read a lot of his writing, getting to think about the relationship that that Mo has, um, with, with John Cage and, um, and about that kind of a bleakness, uh, not just in John Cage's music, but in his writing and how much, a lot of that feels uh, like a spell. The, the There's a line, uh, he who is sleepy, let him go to sleep, which uh, in hmm. this lecture, John Cage lecture, is repeated all the way through. And it has this in-
1: incredible spell-like quality to it. Didn't he define music once as simply the organization of sound and silence? Yeah. So there there, there there, are, which comes back to the fact that there are quiet moments in the novel. There are yeah. novels in which characters are simply thinking about other characters. And, and the, the action, we should mention this because we haven't talked that much about the plot, but the action accelerates and expands in dramatic ways in the second half of the novel. But There's a lot of meditative business uh, in, in it as well. A lot of characters thinking about other characters. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I, I think because when I started this, I thought I don't know if I want to be uh, sort of for the rest of my career a novelist. I really am a short story writer. I thought if this is the only novel that I write, what are what are all the things that I would I would like to do? You know, mm-hmm. What are all the things that the pieces that I, I want to put in it? What are the and what are the ways in which they work together? Uh, so, for me, it was there is a lot of stuff about music. There is a lot of character stuff. There's a, there are quiet moments. You know, there are also, um, I, spent, I spent a lot of time thinking about spectacle. Um, you know, what are the moments of spectacle that, that if this is going to be a big fat fantasy novel, um, you know, what are the, the moments of sort of really large, surprising um, strangeness that I can put in here? Like the yes, giant, the Battle of Helms Deep. You
1: know? Well, got yeah. your giant temple. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and the, you know, there's there's some spectacular imagery in it too. But I can I can imagine some readers wanting uh, wanting more of that. They want the other two volumes. You've got you've got two characters who have been at each other's throats for close to three hundred years, and there's a whole story there clearly, uh, which is implied. Uh, it it, it, it it's a way of explaining the character's behavior in the novel, but uh, people who are enamored of world building and don't get me started too much on that are going to say, "I want to, I want to see those guys in 1691. What's going on here?" Yeah, I, I, I get that, and I, I think there are a couple of, um,
2: there are a couple of characters in the novel that a lot of characters in the novel where you get a lot of interiority that these are characters who are very mm-hmm. generous uh when i was writing them with with being willing to um sort of uh be on the page and then there are other characters where i i really felt uh in terms of how i saw them that they demanded a fair amount of privacy that they were yeah. more walled off and i was interested in in writing a, a book in which I allowed some of those characters who are private to be to be walled off in some way to give mm-hmm. them the, the um and honestly the book was so big you know that when I thought about are there are there ways in which I can at least you know uh, explore obliquely these characters I thought no there's not space
1: no. <laughs> But, but in in a sense the the implied space can be more powerful than the described space. Um, so let's talk a little bit. Of, uh, Jonathan, go ahead. I'm sorry. So
0: was there ever a point where you thought it wasn't going to come together?
2: Uh, I would say the strangest moment was um, maybe right as I was I was getting near the end of the first draft. I thought I've got I'm at a point now where I've I've maybe got a couple of weeks more work um, yeah. and. So I, I set up a, a retreat. Uh, I went over um, to my friend Cassie Claire's house. Holly came as well. We were going to hole up uh, in Cassie's barn and work for um, five days, and that was what all we were going to do. And before we went to the barn, we did some work in Cassie's house, and uh, I wrote about three pages, and I thought, no, actually, I'm I'm done. <clears throat> You know and I, I had thought that that work and also the things that I had to write, that there was a lot more of it and in actual fact it was it was done. So I, I took those five days and then spent them revising. Mm-hmm. But it was an enormous surprise because uh, I had a pretty clear idea uh, most of the way through of the things that I still needed to do mm-hmm. that sort of speed at the end. I thought if I'm lucky, I will finish this in five days. And instead, I finished it before we, we got to the, the retreat.
1: That's got to be a good feeling of some, of some sort. Well, it was a very surprising feeling. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You've spent a lot of time in workshops and around workshops, and you talk about friends who are part of your writing group that you rely mm-hmm. on. How important with this project above all, I suppose, in some ways, were the kind of tools that you've built up over the years to be able to tackle it and manage it and know what to do when things weren't working? Because it feels to me like when you talk about it, somewhere in the background, there's an infrastructure of knowledge and experience that goes, I know I can do this. I know I can rely on that. Even if I haven't solved this problem that's in this fictional space, I have some handle on what to do to do that.
2: I think that... um... I think that because for years I was an editor as part of Small Beer, um, I saw novels, I saw series in different states. Uh, you know, I had the privilege of working with people as an editor. I got to ask questions and and figure out sort of the best way to uh, ask the kind of questions that move somebody towards supplying a missing piece or thinking about a a piece of logic that the book may need, or, you know, asking them to investigate something that 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 was enormously helpful because to a certain degree, I could, I could turn that back on myself. Um, Mm -hmm. And because I have for years, for decades now, watched Holly and Cassie write books Mm -hmm. and, and, and talk about their ways of thinking about structure. That was enormously uh, helpful. But I, I will say that early on before I'd begun this project, I described some of the stuff that I wanted to do to the Holly Black, who is a novel whisperer. You know, mm-hmm. she's far <laughs> and wide as the person that you go to to talk about a project when you need somebody to ask you the right mm-hmm. questions. And I described a lot of the things that I wanted to do. And she said to me, I can't help you.
1: Really? <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
2: she said, you're going to figure it out, but right now I can't help you. And that was also, I think, helpful, you know, to to be sort of thrown back mm-hmm. on my, my own resources sure. and then go away and think about it some more. And then there were many points as I was working on it where she was enormously helpful. Um, and, you know, I, I <laughs> sure, I've said this to you guys before, but... Um, You know, it isn't, we do very different kinds of work from each other. Um, We are all pretty strong-willed people who have a sense Mm. of the kinds of things that we want to write, but it is enormously helpful uh, to be working in a room with other writers. And when you have a really stupid question about your own work, where Mm. you have been, because you've been throwing yourself at something that you no longer have, you have a narrowness of focus, which is very necessary to have when you write, to be able to throw that question to somebody else and have them reframe it for you uh, is enormously helpful for, well, for someone else. Without, putting, without yeah?
1: putting words into into, into Holly's uh, comments to you, I've, I've, I've heard this from other writers who send manuscripts out to other people and they get the response back when they say, I can't help you. Sometimes that means Anything I could do would turn this into my novel, and I can't do that. Uh, right. I, I, I am not you uh, at this point. You're on your own it's kind of like, okay, you've got your driver's license now. Here's the car you know it's 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 a little bit like uh, it's a little bit like
2: um it's gonna sound very strange, but as if you were sitting there sort of stewing and somebody throws a bucket of water at you, you know you sort of wake up and you think, all right. Uh, you know, I, I know I'll go do some stuff. It's a, a little bit of a shock, uh, but it's, it's not a bad thing to be told. And it's, it's a, at that moment when somebody does not have sort of the, a path that they yeah. can sort of move you along so much better for somebody to say, I can't help you than to give you yeah. the wrong. kind of help.
1: Absolutely. Oh.
0: It's <laughs> also where it becomes your book rather than something else. Mm. You know, because it's it's finding the answer to a question where only you have that answer.
1: Mm. And I expect, and you- I I think
2: both of those things are great. Both both to be thrown back on your own resources, but also sometimes to hear how somebody else would do something. Not because you're going to do it that way, but because you think, no, not that way. But if not that way, then I think I can now see my own direction. Yeah.
1: Well, I think one of the things that, uh, a- again, I'm, I'm being enormously unfair to Holly Black with this, but assuming that you know, there's a point at which she realizes uh, nobody but you could write this novel, at, you're at a certain point where you're making decisions that uh, are different from not, uh, decisions anybody else would make. And interestingly enough, this reflects back to me to some of the stories in White Cat, Black Dog where you're dealing with familiar materials and you're dealing with uh, fairy tale materials and no other writer would do exactly what you did with a story like, oh, I don't know, Skinder's Vale* for example. So there's a point at which lots of it, lots of people have done versions of fairy tales. And Angela Carter may be the most famous in terms of doing the most dramatic uh, reinvention of fairy tales. But there is a point in that book of, of stories where I realized other people have done these stories, but nobody but Kelly Link could do this version of that story. And I think there probably was a point in all of your friends reading parts of this where they realized kind of this is, in, this is out of their league now. This is your novel. This is something that only you could do. And the best thing to do is to leave you alone and or set you adrift, depending on which... Uh, metaphor you prefer
2: well i you know a lot of the i can't help you was at the beginning and then uh, holly was a great editor as i went on to Mm -hmm. say and again just in that i have a question about this or you know it feels like there's a thing missing here uh sort of way Mm -hmm. um and i you know i i have a fabulous editor my editor caitlin uh was a wonderful editor for the first version that I sent her um, and then in the second round of edits printed out the book into four bound smaller books with handwritten comments all the way through uh, which is uh, very old school yeah. um, but was enormously helpful to have the printed page in front of me to see it as a book to see the questions in the margin and then to go back to work you know, either uh, looking at things that maybe I could cut, questions that she had, and that was a, again, you know, I I was fortunate all the way through this in terms of the kind of help that I was was getting.
0: Yeah. The Book of Love comes out in just over two weeks, which means it's, printed it's bound it's being shipped right. out there are cartons sitting in the back of bookstores mm-hmm. there it is she holds
1: here's up copies of the, Rangers. the UK is version you know? here okay, the US. UK version is the only one I've seen before
2: yeah the the um this comes out I think maybe a week before the American edition um yeah
1: but I've they both showed up sort of two days ago. We, we should explain to our listeners that Kelly just held up a couple of books which we can see and you can't. That's okay. Um, <laughs> or so you How say. Do, or so, so we say. You don't or so know. we say.
0: How does it feel, though? First of all, to know that they're all out there and then to see them for the first time.
2: feels a little strange. Um, I feel a little weird about it. Um, a little alarming to think that it's going to be out in the world. I think I've hit the stage where – I feel enormously satisfied that I wrote it. I'm glad that a couple mm-hmm. of people have read it, but I might be happy for a good long while if nobody else read it. <laughs> possibly I did just write this for me.
0: <laughs> what do you mean? Well, you'd you'd like them to send all the copies to your place and just not to worry. Yeah. <laughs> you
1: gotta, I, I, I Wasn't wasn't there a terrific PW review? Is that the one that? One review I've seen just said flat out it's a masterpiece. Um.
2: I think people have a lot of different reactions to it. And I think for me, the strange thing about having a novel as opposed to collections is one collections are, you know, this it's, it's a bunch of different stories. And so somebody can read one story and think, well, that wasn't to my taste and then read another story and think, Oh, but I love that because they're totally different. They have different textures a novel is all one texture um, hmm. and I had not really thought about that so either somebody's going to be all in or kind of in or else they're just going to not be in at all
0: do you pay much attention to the response to the books
2: I do and I was thinking probably I should stop uh, in hmm. terms of having a book, a novel out in the world because a lot more people pay attention to novels than they do sure. to short stories and I I have a pretty tough skin uh, but I have also been lucky enough that I've mostly had positive responses to the kinds of things that I do, and if your audience is larger, you're going to have a lot more people who are not sure. happy. With well, I can say that I,
0: t- I took a look at the Goodreads response to the Book of Love so far, which is mostly very, very positive. I have to say, but it'd be also pr- probably fair to say that there are some people who, oh yeah, I guess just don't Absolutely. quite connect with it. Don't quite connect. And, at least no. one who wants to talk to and, Lee and Holly and get her money
2: back. Oh yeah, I, oh, really? I, I <laughs> did see that. Um, I told I told Holly that, that somebody <laughs> may come up to her and ask for their money back. Um, yeah, it's just so part we'll of the,
0: the part of being published. Speaking of part of being published and of the journey from the quotidian to the fantastic, there's going to be at least one more small beer book. I believe they're going to do a limited edition of the Book of Love.
2: Well, I thought you were going to say Kathleen Jennings' book, which is just Well, it's already well, out, isn't it?
0: Healing.
2: Yeah, it is. Yes. Um. Yeah, there we are. We are working on the limited edition of the Book of Love. Uh, slowly. Um. But this is our chance to do a lot of things that that we issued. Uh, for many years, that, mm-hmm. that what we wanted to do for the most part was put out. Very affordable uh, sure. trade editions of books. And we've done a handful of, of limited editions. Uh, John Crowley book, um, some fancy editions of books that we were also putting out in trade editions. But this time we've decided that we will go pretty full out and do a bunch of things that we've never done before. I, I did see a description that looked a little bit that shit crazy. It is batshit crazy. There are going to be 12 illustrations by an artist, Wesley Allsbrook, that we've worked with before. Um, The the book will be in a slip case, at least at the higher level. Uh, And it will be published uh, as four volumes. Uh, Because it's such a large book, Gavin said, why don't we make one where somebody has a reading experience that's not quite as heavy? You don't have the (laughs) <laughs> the heavy books sure. sitting on your chest. As your <laughs> Instead, you have these four much uh, more slender volumes.
0: Well, that's a gift. I have, to, I have to say, having experienced the beautiful and wonderfully produced in Canabula edition of Little Big, it, it, it's a muscular commitment.
2: We were we were just talking about that edition, which is beautiful. It's it a gorgeous is. book. It's wonderful that it's out in the world. But it's a massive beast, Uh, a lot like the the Earthsea,
1: Mm,
2: uh, Charles S. Mm -hmm. edition, which is just, you wouldn't want to go to sleep with that on your chest. You might not wake up.
0: I will say this in praise of limited editions. I said this to Gary about the edition of um, the Crowley book, the actual printing, the actual thing to read it is as beautiful a thing to read as I've seen in decades. You suddenly feel like, oh, I've been dealing with all of this noise before. Look how clear and crisp and fantastic it can be. I
1: finally I finally realized what John Berry actually does for a living and there's something to be said for typesetters.
2: <laughs> I love I love John Berry. He is uh over the years with Small Beer, he is we have sometimes gone to him with a a design problem and he has been kind enough to help us solve that problem <laughs> um yeah design things like margins uh it's always the the tension between um how much money is something going to cost to print sure. versus yeah, sure. how attractive and and reader friendly it might be you know i all the time i will look at a book and i will think well that's a Terrible line length, or that block is a, a terrible text block. Um, but at
1: yeah. the, even without the the special features of limited edition, a, a, a well designed book, an attractive book as a, as an object, want, in, in white black, in, in white white black cat dog or whatever, uh, the Schonan illustrations just absolutely were magic in the book. They're 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 not they're not illustrations in the old-fashioned Howard Pyle sense of illustrations, but they certainly capture the the, the mood much the way the, 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 the illustration, not, not illustrations, but the pictures in the Crowley book, which have nothing to do with the narrative at all, somehow add something to the object.
2: Yeah. And I think that's one of the, you know, I've been lucky enough to have a lot of illustrated editions of my collections out um and that that interplay between what an illustration can tell you about a mood or a tone or about something that the story is not going to say on the page the way that, that that those two things work together is extraordinary um and the wesley albrook illustrations um she did a lot of uh she pulled we we decided that we would sort of pull from from tarot cards mm-hmm. she would she would um sort of approach the characters with that idea of, of iconography and sort of symbolic meanings and sort of um create something like something that would have a have have a have, have a have the feel of a, a tarot card and mm-hmm. That was a great approach. And, you know, as as she worked on those and as she and I were emailing back and forth, much like the Tan illustrations, I said, this is really – this allows me to see the characters in a different way. Yeah. Sure. So Small
0: Beer Press is about to go on a a lengthy hiatus. Uh, Kindling from Kathleen Jennings is out in the world as the – last book before the hiatus begins which is a wonderful and exciting thing the book of love is out in the world pretty much and certainly can be pre-ordered right now and if if you don't pre-order it right now uh you could certainly buy it quite soon yeah but it begs the question just for a moment do you know quite what happens next or is it a bit of PR and then draw breath for a moment?
2: I think there's going to be some PR. Um, I am teaching a workshop at Smith, and I do really love teaching workshop. I will that that's going to be a, a I guess my the main thing that I'm concentrating on for the next couple of months. Um, and the bookstore Book Moon, which I love, um, mm. does require work. Mm, you know, we have a yes. terrific staff, but they can't do everything
1: on on no. their own so i will be spending well, a fair amount of time there as well and some time yeah. visiting making some stops for autographings and bookstores uh on on, on on your limited tours so my, people- my limited east
2: coast and then a little bit on the the west coast as well you know I'll, i haven't been on a plane in years now i haven't been to the west coast in over five years i think uh, so I'll I'll get to go out. I'll get to see some old friends. I'll get to visit some bookstores I haven't seen in a long time. Um, I am looking forward to that. An adventure awaits. Yeah. Adventure awaits. But for
0: now, the Book of Love is is out, well, will be out, is available for pre-order.
1: Thank you so much for making the time to join us, Kelly, today. And I in case, in case we, in we didn't show. mention this earlier, The Book of Love is wonderful. It is enormous. Yes. fun. It's, it's complicated. It's a, it's a It's a good mainstream novel inside a good fantasy novel inside a good mainstream novel, inside a good ghost story, inside a romance. Um, and it
0: looks much shorter on your
1: Kindle. And yeah, it looks it, a Kindle. It's only like an inch, uh, anyway. And there will
2: be an audiobook that people can play at double speed.
1: <laughs> <And, and, and laughs> <people, they're like laughs> it would like having Minnie of Mouse a of read a novel to you. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right. Thank you. Okay. Enjoying. And until <laughs> the next time, then this has been the Food Street Podcast. Thanks, y'all.